the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. My conversation today is with John McGettigan, president of the Saskatoon Teachers Association. John works tirelessly in the service of teachers and of education. As you'll hear, John is passionate about ensuring teachers are leaders of learning not only with their students, but also amongst themselves. This learning is not limited to the traditional school subjects. He's also a leader in developing citizenship and what it means to be Canadian. He's been part of a team that developed Consentus, a program to teach citizenship based on the Canadian Charter of Rights. If you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, or follow us on Twitter at intersectioned. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with John McGettigan. Well, hey there, John. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's a privilege. Thanks for asking. It's uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, How's uh, how's the weather in Saskatoon today? It's you know it's plus thirty, and uh, you know we're just all and it's absolutely brutal. Actually, uh, it's, uh, it was it was minus thirty with the wind chill overnight. So uh, it's winter. Yeah. yeah, it has returned to the prairies. Yeah, it's uh, Canada over it, right? That's exactly <laughs> it. Let's talk about what we're really here to to really discuss today. Um, one of the things I've heard you speak about, and, and I know it's a concept that's really really close to to what you're about, is this idea of teachers leading teachers and teachers leading learning. Why do you think that that is such an important piece of the teacher profession? Why do you think that it's important to our education system? Um, I think uh, primarily, I think that we've been leaving it to chance a lot of it. Um, like we're, we're, I think teachers are pretty guilty at looking elsewhere to have people solve our problems or address our needs. And, um, and I think primarily uh, that's that that's what I discovered, you know, in the middle of my career. And when I got into, you know, teacher politics, for lack of a better term, I, it, it took me very little time to figure out that uh, talking about student learning was something that never happened in these jobs. So I look after about 4,000 teachers and um, um, it, it struck me a few months into my job that we hadn't talked about student learning for three months. And so... At that point, uh, it was something that was pretty clear to me that we need to address. Um, and and frankly, I've been inspired by a bunch of teachers that have done it. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about, you know, speaking about student learning and things like that, do you, I mean, you are the head of a, a an organization, a local organization that is an association, yeah. as yeah. opposed to strictly a union. And, and what is that, that idea of being an association as opposed to strictly a union leader mean? Does that tie into what you're talking about? Yeah, or? it definitely does. I think to meet the need, the, the practical needs of teachers, um, you know, uh, things like class size and competition, uh, composition, salary, 
benefits, all those things that unions do in quotation marks, you're much better off to address the, you know, the actual work. Um, you know, I think if you look at other professional associations like lawyers or doctors or accountants and things like that, you, the, when they're in the public purview, they're talking about their work. They're not talking about what they want. And, um, and I got in this business of teaching to help kids. And I think that all the way through the structure, um, in scope, out of scope, professional association, whatever it is, we're better served if we're talking about student learning because that's what we're here for. Yeah, I agree. What does that mean to you then when you hear people who are advocating or making arguments for taking administrators or school leaders outside of the association, as they've done in, in many provinces and, and I'm sure many states, I'm not so um, up to date, but you know, if we look uh, for me, our, our colleagues over in BC, what would that mean when you're taking teacher leaders, uh, administrators out of out of an association, do you think that that would have an impact? I think it would be devastating. I'll be honest with you. I think it would. Ro- I think that that's the bedrock of what makes our association strong is that it's principals, vice principals, and teachers from the beginning, their first day of teaching to the end of their last day of teaching. Um, I really believe that uh, that 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 principals are not anybody's boss. Uh, they're colleagues with a different responsibility, more responsibility in school, and. Um, and really, like what I've experienced here is that that uh, our principals, um, from the youngest to the most senior, are um, leaders of learning primarily. They're not managers, um, and and you know I think the legislation is clear on that. And I think it would rock the I think it would shake the bedrock of our publicly funded system here in Saskatchewan, anyways. If you're taking teachers out, uh, principals out of scope, yeah. What kind of things do you think would shake up? What kind of when you I'm asking you to to maybe look into the old crystal ball a little bit, but if you were to say what what are the first things do you think tangibly that would go if 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 leaders school leaders school administrators was to were to to be in a different association? Well, man, I think the easiest answer to that is probably relationships. Uh, um, uh, the relationship between I think in education, you know, the most important relationship is between a teacher and a student, but. Um, followed closely second to that is, you know, collegial relationships and really right up to my involvement with ministers and deputy ministers and, and, uh, you know, and researchers, any, it's all about one-to-one relationships. And I think that was the, that'd be the first thing that would get shaken mm-hmm. because you'd be managing people's, uh, responsibilities instead of sharing their responsibilities. And I think that'd be the first thing that would go, probably the next logical thing would be you'd start to, um, you could create a culture where the ambition of the principal could hurt the ambition of the of, of, of the teacher right can you think of a, explain to me that one because i'm sure that you know i can think of a few but what are you kind of thinking about thinking, i mean hypothetically of course hypothetically i mean i think that the 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 concept of corporatizing schools would be the like would be ingrained if you took principles out of scope mm-hmm. it would be, it'd be a natural fit for people to step on each other as they climb the ladder to make more money and um and i think that that would be a likely outcome, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that is tied to this idea of teachers, leading teachers and leading learning is your involvement with learning sprints. And you've been involved pretty much since learning sprints have been around. Um, what were some of the things that, that, that really spoke to you about this idea of learning sprints, these short inquiry cycles. And, uh, what do you think that, 
that it does and, and gives when you're talking about teachers leading learning? Well, I mean, the my first initial um, glance at learning sprints was when uh, Passy Salberg, who everybody knows, introduced me to Simon. Right. And, I, I, and you know, uh, one thing that Salberg doesn't do is dabble in the mediocrity. <laughs> uh, and, and so when he introduced me to Simon, I knew that this was something serious. So it came with a bunch of credibility anyways uh, from the get-go. Um, and I think what I see Passy able to do at a system level uh, is what Simon is doing at a, at a school level. Um, like he, he understands how to motivate, how to uh, lead via research, um, put the kids first. Um, and I think his background in psychology is probably the most interesting thing to me, mm-hmm. is that it's, it's, it's sort of beyond learning it per se. It's more uh, it, it's a human approach and uh, his connection with the, with the IT and, uh, you know, and the technology sector, I think, is what, is what what intrigued me most. And I think that that's why he's having an effect across, you know, whatever you're doing in, in the teaching profession. Mm-hmm. It's attractive because it's about good teaching, period. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. That... I can run on it forever because I, <laughs> I, I, shifting uh, high school teachers uh, practice is very difficult. And I am one. So I know that I'm not trying to judge, but. Um, uh, seeing, you know, senior teachers that are in my age or older, uh, you know, opening their eyes to some of, uh, some of this, of these techniques or, uh, adaptations or innovations that you see in sprints, um, is inspirational. Man. Yeah. yeah. So I, and that was going to be my question. Um, you've been working with this. What are some of the results that you're seeing out in Saskatoon? What are some of the, what do you think, the positive outcomes? Do you have maybe um, a personal connection or a story that you, yeah. that you think yeah, yeah. kind of shows that this has had impact? Uh, I've, actually, I've had tons of personal, uh, probably the most logical one is my wife's an elementary school principal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she dove in, she likes to read and she's voracious about honing her craft as a leader and and when she started using um using sprints in a very in a very intentional way with her staff um she was inspired her morale was boosted um and i i think that the probably the biggest thing that i noticed was morale um i think uh, it was it, it, i meant that may be a broad, broad generalization but it brought teams together it brought improvement together it brought that spark, that light bulb going over everybody's head from directors of education to first year teachers. And I think that that morale piece was really personal to me because um, I've got some uh, folks that, that I really look up to, you know, in, in all around the system and and the boost of morale and throwing their shoulders back and digging into the work was, uh, you know, uh, I'm uh, it was Put it this way: I'm glad Salberg mentioned his name, and I'm glad uh, we got it in the front end, frankly, because we might we, we might have missed out on some opportunities otherwise. Yeah, teaching's hard, hey. So when you can get those teaching's things, yeah. Yeah. when you can get those things that make it a little bit easier, and people feeling good about the impact they're having, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, my, wife, my wife's super inspired by it, like, and and um, and the, the spread of people talking about it, and just this natural sort of virus thing uh, has just overtaken our city. I would say 80% of our principals are at least dabbling with at least one sprint per term now. And some are, um, uh, are headlong into it. And we, you know, at, at all levels along the way, 
it's it's a topic our board has discussions about this work you know at the board level that's yeah incredible they're talking about student learning it's a beautiful thing (laughs) let's talk about your trip to ottawa you just uh got back and you were talking about uh, a citizenship a citizenship program that you've been working on uh can you tell me a little bit about the program what uh what it looks like what you're hoping to achieve I would love to, yeah. Like it's, I think it's what I'm most passionate about. Like ultimately, um, what the program is is addressing a need that we've we found in the classroom here. Saskatoon schools are uh, 50% either new Canadian or non-Canadian, mm-hmm. and um, and most of the people that are in the profession are like me, white and middle class, and and our classrooms shifted so quickly that uh, we had this demographic shift that everybody just was shocked by. Um, and it, it comes down to one thing, I think, is if you teach a kid to read, uh, they learn to read. Uh, if you teach a kid to do math, they, they learn to do math. Um, who's teaching kids what it means to be a Canadian? The, that greatest asset that we have, that fortune that we have of being Canadian, who's teaching them specifically about that? Not the civics of it, not the mechanics of it, what it means to be a Canadian. And, um, and that, that's at the root of the work. And so what we've done over the last eight years is we have developed essentially resources that interlock with the current curriculum here in Saskatchewan. So we're not asking teachers to do more. It's actually asking them to do what's relevant in their classroom, what's mm-hmm. contextualized in their classroom. Um, and it is an absolute beautiful thing. It's not values education at all. It's based on the Charter of Rights and really back to the UN charter which i think canada is probably the closest nation to achieving what's actually in that charter and so um citizenship education um i mean according to andy hargreaves passy Salberg, dennis shirley uh, those you know big brains is going to be a parallel track to numeracy and literacy in the 21st century hmm. um so numeracy and literacy will always be the bread and butter of education as they should be but those gigantic brains um have told us that 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 this would be the third wave the third pathway um in 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 teaching kids what 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 matters um so it's it's super exciting and we we've got it operating about 300 classrooms now in saskatoon mm-hmm. um um and probably more than that that we just don't know are using it and uh and the beautiful thing is it's evergreens like we've given the, the it's all developed by teachers for teachers um, it was born out of a human rights commission, not out of a ministry of education, which is unique globally. So the resources weren't developed through any ministry, uh, format. We received funds from the justice ministry and from the ministry of education, but it was actually, all the work was done through a human rights commission, right. which is an, essentially does one thing, make sure that everybody is treated fairly, no exceptions. And, um, and the resources that have been developed are being evergreened every day in the classroom. So it's actually curriculum that is developing um, as it's being used. And, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm really passionate about it. It's, um, it's had a great benefit in our schools here. And the appetite uh, from teachers has been um, something we actually can't meet, keep up with. Wow. Uh, and that's why, that's why we went to Ottawa because we need some help. Yeah. Yeah. One of the questions that someone might have is the idea of Canadian citizenship, whether that be the idea of what is Canadian, no matter mm-hmm. what country, can be up for debate. Now, it sounds like you sure. leaned heavily on the Charter of Human Rights. So we have the Canadian Charter of Human Rights. But is that is that the, the only part of that answer that you would say to someone? Like, uh-huh. Who are you to say what is Canadian or, or what are our values? 
Well, I'm, it's not up to me to say that. Um, it's not up to, it's up to the charter. Like it's the law. Um, uh, like the way that we sort of would, would pitch it is it's the new three R's, rights, respect, and responsibility. Uh, you need to know your rights so you know, don't knowingly transgress the rights of others. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no rights without uh, a corollary responsibility. Um, the way that we look at it, this is a big moment for education. Um, I mean, the rights revolution was born out of the, you know, the post-Second World War, Cold War era. Um, and, and, and the rights revolution was born in courtrooms. So judges and lawyers fought the good fight to uh, bring fairness, uh, more fairness to our, uh, our society. Um, we're calling this a responsibility revolution, mm-hmm. where my responsibility is, as a Canadian has always got to be looked through the lens of making the world a better place. Because we're Canadians, we owe it to the world to make it a better place. That being said, that, that's a pretty high responsibility. And we think that this revolution won't be born in courtrooms, they'll be born in classrooms. So teachers will lead this revolution, this responsibility revolution. And um, we're finding that, that we don't have to teach the new Canadians very much about that because that's why they came here. Yeah, um, Ones like you and I that have been privileged mm-hmm. uh, uh, to be from Canada and born and raised in Canada are the ones that need reminded of it. Yeah, yeah it's fragile. I think what you see, um, I think what you see around the world in countries like Hungary and Brazil and you know, the United States, obviously, is that it's a product of uh, not dealing with the citizenship piece very much. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. In fact, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, I think we're seeing a whole bunch of examples right now of countries who who aren't sure what it means to treat everyone fairly. And and we're going to have more and more, I think, disruption of what what the norms are so as we you know increase immigration or we have waves of uh, waves of migration as they do in Europe or or anything like that that's when you find out whether people are going to uphold those basic rights those basic values those basic what you would say laws and yeah. responsibilities that that underpin society and the good functioning of our society yeah and like like we 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 try to look at at you know, that it looks at the big social context issues, right? Like, you know, um, probably, you know, in a nutshell, it's an antidote to hate. Um, like, uh, you know, this is, we think that we are providing a, an inoculant to hate. Hate is born of ignorance um, and love is born of knowledge. And so the way that we try to, the way the resources really work is when, when issues like uh, a Pittsburgh synagogue or an LA nightclub or, um, um, you know, these, uh, Colton Bushi, which is a big thing in Saskatchewan, right? Yeah. Um, uh, when those issues arise, how do you react to those as teachers, right? And you have to have reliable places that you can go, resources that you can go to, not just Google it. Yeah. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that teachers have said to me is that we can go to those resources and we can actually react to immediate situations with stable and we're backed up with it feels like they've been they got steel in their back to address these issues that kids are coming in with at a very young age uh to to ask questions about as well they damn well should you know yeah no i totally agree that uh, that's very exciting uh i'm looking forward to seeing some of that stuff and and wishing nothing but the best we lead the country in racism okay which uh Mm -hmm. isn't a badge of honor let's just say so 
yeah, we went through a boom of, of immigration. Um, and we've, we still haven't burst the bubble of racism towards first nations people in this province. And, um, so we think the, the need and the appetite is high in the classrooms for it. And, um, we think if we can address it in Saskatchewan, um, and have some success with it is something the rest of the country can learn from. And that's what we discovered in Ottawa was that there was an appetite across the country and this sort of shock that nobody else is dealing with it. Nobody's doing it. Yeah. 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 When you think about education, is there something that you believe is true that, that other people, maybe most other people would disagree with you on? Wow. Um, I can be controversial. That's a dangerous, thing. <laughs> um, uh, um, I actually think probably the one thing that I would take the most as a representative of teachers is there's probably a percentage that shouldn't be anywhere near kids. Hmm. There's probably a percentage of teachers that got in it um, and can't get out. Right. uh, I mean, that's uh, that's maybe a silly thing for me to say as a representative of teachers. But um, that would be probably the one thing that I see is that you can tell there's people, if given an option, they might they might opt out, but mm-hmm. making decent money, the benefits are good mortgages to pay all that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> I think part of the weakness of unions or f- teachers associations across the country, maybe around the world is keeping the incompetent in the classroom. Mm-hmm. There any, you go. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> one. Any, any brainwaves about how we might address that? I, the one that always comes back to me is like a workman's comp issue. So if I was a welder, let's just say, and I and I could no longer weld, workman's comp would retrain me hmm. to do something else, to get me back into the workforce, maybe in a different area that surrounded welding or um, something completely different. Right. Um, if if we could act, if we could have some sort of model like where a teacher could recognize that I'm not a teacher anymore. And, a, and the, a graceful off-ramp out of the profession. Maybe a two- or three-year cycle to go re-educate. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a bus driver. I'm not a teacher. Yeah. When they have that reality, because I know that because people have spoken to me about that on a regular basis, is if you could have a graceful off-ramp out of the profession mm-hmm. into a different one, I think that that would be something that would be money well spent. I keep thinking about the inverse is true as well. I think that there are some people out there who would be wonderful teachers who are perhaps not in our profession and who have skills that would be very interesting, especially in high schools. And to have perhaps a graceful in-ramp as well as off-ramp or on-ramp as well as off-ramp, that would be... Yeah, that's less controversial. (laughs) That is less controversial, isn't it? Hey, and I, funny you say that because, like, I, um, my dad was a doctor, and a bunch of my, most of my families and are like first cousins, etc., are doctors. And and the part of the job they love the most is teaching, hmm. teaching people to be doctors. And and like the real joy is uh, is is sharing their knowledge with other colleagues, not necessarily the the practice of medicine. Yeah. And I always that that intrigues me. It's that joy that you get when somebody learns something that you've intended them to learn is. That's gold. Yeah, I totally agree. When you think of the term master teacher, who or what comes to mind? Well, in that that question, it's just certain people's faces come to my mind. I don't know if I can define it at all. Um, I've seen it in action. Like um, 
I've seen people that have taught me, obviously, I think everybody's in this business, there's somebody that comes to mind. One is Don McLean. She was my band teacher in elementary school, and, and she was the consummate professional, and um, she was kind. She was always willing to let you screw up, and, 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 and she was comfortable with uh, letting you loose to make mistakes and then helping you get up instead of stomping on you when you fell. Um, master teacher is a relationship builder. Mm-hmm. Love to me. Love. That's it. Uh, with almost no bounds to it. Like, uh, you know, they talk about unconditional love. I think that's master teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, a lot, all the, and right now, like I get the privilege of being in 109 schools, uh, you know, in, in one or two schools a day and you just see it on the playground. You see it in the, you know, you just see it all over the place. And I, what, in my job, what I've seen is like superintendents, directors of education, trustees, board chairs that are master teachers too. Because my classroom, in my job as a president of an association, my classroom is the minister, the deputy minister, and you know my my trustees. Like I have a classroom too; it's just not made out of up of children. Mm-hmm. And so what I've seen is people that are great directors. They know who their classroom is and how to you know use sprints to get uh, where where the, to make some improvements for kids. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. All the teachers are not necessarily teaching kids and in classrooms. That's that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you have a favorite failure or a favorite success that you felt really informed forward your work? Um, Something that kind of happened, good or bad, that you kind of look back and say, "Hey, that taught me a really important lesson." Unfortunately, yeah, I do. Um, I was uh, I told a joke at our convention uh, about four, three or four years ago that um, was a little bit offside, not much offside. Um, but I learned about the politics, the teacher politics, and the p- politics of education. I, w- I told a joke, and I was charged with professional misconduct. And um, it went through a couple, and it, it was a joke. Um, but it caused me to uh, to look at the language I use, obviously, um, where I also became aware that uh, when you're in positions of authority like this people will like to shoot bullets at you um and that's part of the game mm-hmm. and what i learned from going through that i was cleared of it dismissed and all that sort of stuff but it, uh, it was two years of absolute hell lawyers and and accusations and it was a nightmare and it was just all politics it had nothing to do with, with misconduct or professionalism neither of those things um so what i learned was is you have to have a thick skin in leadership and um, and be open to criticism, but also be open to the fact that sometimes the criticism is unreasonable and uh, is there – the criticism isn't necessarily there to improve the system or to improve your work. It's, it can be just petty. Yeah. Any tips on, so, you know, we're school leaders. I think many people out there, do you have any tips on recognizing that? Now, obviously, if you get you know charged with misconduct, that's a pretty obvious for, for something you don't believe. But yeah. have you developed this criteria of, hey, that's, I can forget about that. That's just a petty mm-hmm. type thing. Or no, this is actually good feedback that I don't want to hear. So I might be inclined to think it's petty, but in mm-hmm. fact, I should listen to it and I should maybe maybe check myself and evaluate. Well, you know, that's, uh, I, I learned that, I would say that I learned that what I'm going to say from Adrian Pickley, who was here uh, for a week and at the and he's running the Skonski Institute, former minister of education in, in New South Wales, and probably the most effective politician in education circles globally. Uh, and he just said, in the best interest of children, 
That's the filter. Uh, that's the filter. In the best interest, so sometimes it might be one or two or three or five or 20 steps removed. But if you know that you're taking that leap or listening to that conversation and it's in the best interest of the child, um, you're doing the right thing. That's my filter. Yeah. That's a um, good one. Yeah. And it could be a few rungs before you get to the best interest of the child. But um, if you can see that that is your, um, if that's your North Star, I think you can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, couple quicker questions. Do you have any uh, a favorite app or a website or maybe even some other media that you uh, often direct teachers, people to? I, I actually um, probably the I'm a bit of a Twitter addict. Um, yeah. and that's not necessarily I, I actually think that like the, the engagement of teachers on Twitter is really quite professional as opposed to, you know, in other circles, like in political circles or in sports circles or just goes off the rails. I think Twitter is a fantastic tool for professional learning. I do. Um, so that would, I mean, that's a real blanket sort of common one, but I'm a bit of an addict on that one. Um, uh, so yeah. And I love watching the interactions and the way it sort of spreads. You see, a, you know, the thing, somebody that you really admire, likes something, you go and follow them and you learn more. It's sort of like a, a snowball effect. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be my, too. my, yeah. Hey, while we're on the uh, subject, um, can people access the citizenship resources that you were talking about earlier? Is there a, is there a website there? Of course. Yeah. Everything's, everything's there um, and completely shareable. Yeah. Um, and it's just consensus.ca, like uh, C-O-N-T, consensus.ca, cons- sorry, C-O-N-C-E-N-T-U-S, consensus, not consensus, but consensus, yeah. which means essentially consensus in Latin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you have a book that you quote or refer to? You um, again? Do you maybe give to people? Um, I I'm wildly ADHD, and I, I I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of not reading very much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm really guilty of that. My wife hates me saying this publicly, but I I I'm a news junkie, and I'm a I'm an in short spurts junkie. Yeah. Um, so what I'm lately sharing with people is things like podcasts. Yeah. The things that you can do when they're doing something else, um, if they have a brain that's the mind that is really hard to focus. I can't sit and read. Yeah. I just can't do that. So I tend to share either podcasts or little spurts of, uh, you know, uh, you, you, like the TED Talk factor is still maybe a little bit archaic, but um, there's usually things that I like there that are quick hitters, you know interesting i've had that exact same conversation with two different people today uh just they just they just can't tear into not only uh, because of attention issues but workload and family and all these kind of things so they said exactly the same thing you know um shorter snippets podcasts i give people i I need people like my wife that do have the attention span to read and and then highlight things for me and then have a discussion about it i'm a social being and a social learner and um um and I think most, I think actually most teachers are probably. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Is there something that you do every day or most days that keeps you healthy and well? I run every day. Um, that's my addiction. Uh, I, I like to run for about an hour every day and it's just, it's got nothing to do with physical fitness at all. It's just a matter of time to stop. Nobody can phone you. Nobody can, you're not, uh, there's, there's a, I like that little bubble of planning my next day on a daily basis. Yeah. And, um, and I always feel like I can think better when I'm done that. That's my, that's my addiction for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I, if I don't do it every day, I'm kind of an unbearable idiot. So, yeah. 
Do you have an organization or a person who really inspires you? Absolutely, 100%, yes. Um, my I, my mentor, fortunately, my personal mentor is my also my sort of public icon, a guy named David Arnett. He is the chief commissioner of the Saskatchewan Human Rights Commission. He's a federal court judge. Um, I taught his kids in high school, and now he 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 was the uh, treaty commissioner in Saskatchewan for seven or eight years. Um, he is the man with the strongest relationship building skills I've ever met. Never have I ever seen anybody that goes that has a negative word to say about him. Now he's in a position where he's running a human rights commission. And the work that he does in there, the brave work that he does in there um, against a lot of demons, a lot he calls them the cabal. Uh, uh, that organization and that man, he's a great Canadian. And uh, no questions asked. That's I think he's Martin Luther King, Saskatchewan style. He's just that brave and that bright. Amazing. What's next for you? What are some of the things you're looking at tackling next, projects you're working on? What can we see from uh, John McGettigan in the near future? Well, a nap would be good. Uh, <laughs> Maybe a run. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I think um, it's funny in this job, uh, like I've, the political thing is an interesting piece. Uh, I've been approached by right, left, and center at a civic, provincial, and federal level um, uh, to consider running for them. Like, so I think that that's probably the thing I've done best is that nobody knows where I am politically. Yeah. Um, that interests me. And I think we're in an era now politically where we need some sort of big tent politics. Um, and I think, I'll be honest with you, I think we need more teachers in every legislature, every parliament across the world. I'm not sure why there's so many damn lawyers. I don't get it. Um, and it, it, it infuriates me that, uh, that there's not enough teachers that step up. To, we're natural leaders, um, teachers are. And so I'm not saying that I, that it interests me, that political part. But in that in that milieu, like uh, I would like to, you know, either be directly involved or advising people that are directly involved. I got some young people on my executive. I have a 26 person executive that are that would be great MLAs. They'd be great MPs. They'd be great uh, city councilors or mayors. And I would love to help them be that generation where we're filling legislatures and filling parliaments globally with teachers. Yeah, that I think that would be that that would be my. If, the, if you wanted to ask me what my next dream job would be, it'd be something like that. Amazing. I'm looking forward to sure. it. Vote vote John McGettigan. <laughs> Party yeah. to be named later. <laughs> yeah. Big tent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's see. People are really interested in following what you're doing, following some mm. of the work around citizenship. How can they connect with you? You just talked about your Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? How can they, they contact uh, it's you? It's just my name. It's just at John McGettigan. And, um, and, um, and it, Consentus is also at Consentus is where we're trying to start a little bit of a small footprint of um, of social media, and I think um, we're at a Medicare moment with that. I like I think that citizenship education is going to be the next uh, social um, movement that comes out of Saskatchewan. I think the world's catching up on on socialized healthcare, and I think that citizenship education is going to be something that's going to be tracked back to that stupid little city in Saskatchewan that um, that that started this this ball roll. I think we need it. I think it's emergent. Yeah. yeah and so yeah, consensus or uh, if you just Google citizenship education, uh, you'll find us there too. Yeah. That's wonderful. I want to thank you so much for speaking with uh, me today, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of the intersection education podcast. Before you go, 
I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis, and Nakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.